As always, I'm Kevin. This is Pierce and Noah. Yep. We're on chapter two of The Pursuit of God. We will read it for you. And if you want to skip to the discussion, you can skip forward to 20 minutes, 40 seconds. Right there. Chapter two of The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer is called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. He starts off with this scripture. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Matthew 5, 3. Before the Lord God made upon the earth, uh, made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. In the Genesis account of the creation, these are called simply things. They were made for man's uses, but they were meant always uh, they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now, by nature, no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull them up, pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become uh, necessary to us, and develop never uh, sorry, and development never originally intended. Sorry, I'm going to read that sentence again. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. Our Lord referred to this tyranny of things when he said to his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, shall find it. Breaking this truth into fragments for our better understanding, it would seem that there is within each of us an enemy uh, which we tolerate at our peril. Jesus called it life and self, or as we would say, the self-life. Its chief, chief characteristics uh, characteristic is its possessiveness. The words gain and profit suggest this. To allow this enemy to live in us is, in, uh, is the end to lose everything. To repudiate it and give up all for Christ's sake is to lose nothing at last, but to preserve everything unto eternal life. And possibly also a hint is given here uh, as to the only effective way to destroy this foe. It is by the cross. Let him take up his cross and follow me. The way to deeper knowledge of God is through the lonely valleys of soul poverty and giving up of all things. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated every external thing and have rooted them uh, from their hearts all sense of possessing. There are uh, these are the poor in spirit. They have uh, reached in an inward state 
paralleling the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets of Jerusalem. That is what the word poor, as Christ used it, actually means. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broken the yoke of the oppressor. And this they have done not by fighting, but by surrendering. Though free from all sense of possessing, they yet possess all things. Theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Let me exhort you to take this seriously. It is not to be understood as mere Bible teaching to be stored away in the mind along with an inert mass of other doctrines. It is a marker on the road to greener pastures, a path chiseled against the steep sides of the mount of God. We dare not try to bypass uh, it if we would follow on, uh, on in this holy pursuit. We must ascend a step at a time. If we refuse one step, we bring our progress to an end. As is frequently true, this New Testament principle of spiritual life finds its best illustration in the Old Testament. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we have a dramatic picture of the surrendered life as well as an excellent commentary on the first beatitude. Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough indeed to have been his grandfather, and the child became at once the delight and idol of his heart. From that moment, when he first stooped to take the tiny form awkwardly in his arms, he was an eager love slave of his son. God went out of his way to comment on the strength of this affection, and it is not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacred to his father's heart. The promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream. As he watched him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son, till at last the relationship bordered upon the perilous. It was then that God stepped in to save both father and son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. Take now thy son, said God to Abraham, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. The sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba, when the aged man had it out with his God. But respectful imagination may view in awe the bent form and convulsive rustling alone under the stars. Possibly not again until a greater than Abraham wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane did such mortal pain visit a human soul. If only the man himself might have been allowed to die, that would have been easier a thousand times, for he was old now, and to die would have been no great ordeal for one who had walked so long with God. Besides, it would have been a last sweet pleasure to let his dimming vision rest upon the figure of his stalwart son, who would live to carry on the Abrahamic line and fulfill in himself the promises of God made long before in Ur of the Chaldees. How should he slay the lad? Even if he could get the consent of his wounded and protesting heart, how could he reconcile the act with the promise, In Isaac shall thy seed be called? This was Abraham's trial by fire, and he did not fail in the crucible. While the stars still shone like sharp white points above the tent where the sleeping Isaac lay, and long before the gray dawn had become to lighten in the east, the old saint had made up his mind. He would offer his son as God had directed him to, and then trust God to raise him from the dead. This, says the writer of the Hebrews, was the solution his aching heart found some time in the dark night. And he rose early in the morning to carry out the plan. It is beautiful to see that, while he erred as to God's method, he had correctly sensed the secret of his great heart. And the solution accords well with the New Testament scripture, Whosoever will lose for my sake shall find. God let the suffering old man go through with it up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat, and then forbade him to lay a hand upon the boy. To the wandering patriarch, he now says in effect, It's all right, Abraham. I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. 
I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy, sound and well. Take him and go back to your tent. Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Then heaven opened, and a voice was heard saying to him, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. The old man of God lifted his head to respond to the voice, and stood there on the mount strong and pure and grand, a man marked out by the Lord for special treatment, a favorite, a friend and favorite of the Most High. Now he was a man wholly surrendered, a man utterly obedient, a man who possessed nothing. He had concentrated his all in the person of his dear son, and God had taken it from him. God could have begun out on the margin of Abraham's life and worked inward to the sinner. He chose rather to cut quickly to the heart and have it over in one sharp act of separation. In dealing thus, he practiced an economy of means and time. It hurt cruelly, but it was effective. I have said that Abraham possessed nothing, yet was not this poor man rich? Everything he had Everything he had owned before was his still to enjoy. Sheep, camels, herds, and goods of every sort. He had also his wife and his friends, and best of all, he had his son Isaac safe by his side. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. There is the spiritual secret. There is the sweet theology of the heart, which can be learned only in the school of renunciation. The books on systematic theology overlook this, but the wise will understand. After that bitter and blessed experience, I think the words my and mine never had again the same meaning for Abraham. The sense of possession which they connote was gone from his heart. Things had been cast out forever. They had now become external to the man. His inner heart was free from them. The world, uh, the world said, Abraham is rich, but the aged patriarch only smiled. He could not explain it to them, but he knew that he owned nothing, that his real treasures were inward and eternal. There can be no doubt that this, possession, uh, this possessive clinging to things is one of the most harmful habits in life. Because it is so natural, it is so rarely recognized for the evil that it is but its outworkings are tragic. We are often hindered from giving up our treasures to the Lord out of fear for their safety. This is especially true when those treasures are loved relatives and friends. But we need have no such fears. Our Lord came not to destroy, but to save. Everything is safe which we commit to Him, and nothing is really safe which is not so committed. Our gifts and talents should also be turned over to Him. They should be recognized for what they are, God's loan to us, and should never be considered in any sense our own. We have no more right to claim credit for special abilities than for blue eyes or strong muscles. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou did not receive? The Christian who is alive enough to know himself even slightly will recognize the symptoms of this possession uh, malady. Malady. Uh, malady, I think. Malady. Yeah. What does that word mean? It means like, so uh, malady is like something that is off or something that is wrong. Okay. We'll recognize the symptoms of this possession wrongness <laughs> and I will grieve to find them in his own heart if the long uh, and will grieve to find them in his own heart if the longing after God is strong enough within him he will want to do something about the matter now what should he do 
First, he should put away all defense and make no attempt to excuse himself, either in his own eyes or before the Lord. Whoever defends himself will have himself for mm-hmm. his defense, and he will have no other. But let him come defenseless before the Lord, and he will have his defender no less than God himself. Let the inquiring Christian Christian uh, trample underfoot every slippery trick of the deceitful heart and insist upon frank and open relations with the Lord. Yes. Then he should remember that this is holy business. No careless or casual dealings will suffice. Let him come to God in full determination to be heard. Let him insist that God accept his all and uh, that he take things out of his heart and himself reign there in power. It may be he will need to become specific, to name things and people by their names one by one. If he will become drastic enough, uh, if he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings Mm. and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. Hmm. Let us never forget that such a truth is as this... uh, Let us never forget that such a truth as this cannot be learned by rote uh, as one would learn the facts of physical science. They must be experienced before they are really known... Before they before we can really know them. We must, in our hearts, live through Abraham's harsh and bitter experience if we would know the blessedness which follows them. The ancient curse will not go out painless, uh, painlessly. The tough old miser within us will not lie down and die obedient to our command. We must be torn, uh, he must be torn out of our heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like the tooth from the jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. And we shall need to steel ourselves against the uh, piteous begging and to recognize it as uh, springing out of self-pity, one of the most reprehensible sins of the human heart. Wow. I'll let you finish. If we would indeed know God in his growing intimacy, or in growing intimacy, we must go this way of uh, renunciation. And if we are set upon the pursuit of God, he will sooner or later bring us to this test. Abraham's testing was, at the time, not known to him as such. Yet, if he had taken some course... Other than the uh, one he did, the whole history of the Old Testament would have been different. God would have found his man, no doubt, uh, but the loss to Abraham would have been tragic beyond the telling. So we will be brought one by one to the testing place. So renunciation is just to renounce, which means to say, like, uh, that's I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't go by that name is kind of in a, in a way how it is. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. And we got it. we're coming to that test. Uh, so we will be brought one by one to the testing place. And we may never know uh, when we are there. At that testing place, there will be a dozen possible choices for us. There will be just one uh, and an alternative. Yeah, there will be no dozen uh, possible choices for us. There will be just one and an alternative. But our whole future will be conditioned by that choice, by the choice we make. Tozer prays, Father, I want to know thee, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them uh, without inward uh, bleeding. And I do not try to hide from thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self, so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a a rival. Then shalt thou make the place of thy feet glorious. 
Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light in it, or the light of it. And there shall be no might, uh, no night there. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I feel like I had a harder time reading today for some reason. Yeah, uh, yeah me too. But thank you, Lord, for this chapter. Thanks for letting us, helping us get through it. Do you guys have any of your your first uh, responses? How has this cut you to the heart? How did it hit you today? We'll give some first responses to the chapter, and then we'll give an overview after a short break. But let's get those first responses. I think I've noticed this before, but really was paying attention to it this time, that he mentions um, things that are things that we hold on to, but then he doesn't go through and talk about money and your house and your car and your sharing your drink with someone like yeah. it, it like he doesn't mention all that stuff yeah and i i almost understand why because later on he ends up saying is like that that gog whenever he dealt with abraham really just cut to the core he cut to like yeah. much deeper things first yeah. the things that tozer is mentioning all the way through all of this is about relationships with people Mm-hmm. And the way that you like possess those relationships, yes. your relationship, how you relate to yourself yeah. in your uh, self motivations and like, yeah, the, the self life. Um, it's like very interesting to me that Tozer talks all about deep relational things whenever it's talking about possessions, like First instinct, whenever it talks about what are possessions, is you would think, like, if you Thanks. asked a group of third graders, they would all say, my bike, my mom's car. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not, it's not what you think about. But, like, it, that that's what this is about, is that it's, like, a heart, a deep heart thing that has everything to do with, like, your relationship with people and the way that you relate to yourself and the way you relate with God and then all the other things that, like, actual, like, tangible possessions. Yes. Those things, like, the way you relate to those things will just probably, hopefully, fall into place. Yeah. Uh, after you get all this other stuff in line. So, I don't know. Just kind of noticing that. and For sure, man. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. He, uh, it's pretty interesting. I'd say even that's what struck me is, like, this is my first time reading through this particular chapter. Uh, well, it's not my first time reading through it as a dad, but this time for sure, I was so, I was just thinking about my daughter, um, and that he he cuts straight mm-hmm. to the real thing, you know, he, like the shallow the shallow possessions, like he's like those will take care of themselves. I'm gonna get straight to what's what's really gonna be hard for you guys to handle. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Jesus speaks so extremely about family in the New Testament. You guys ever notice that where Jesus mm-hmm. says, if you don't hate your mother and father and and your, you know, brother, sister, your wife, your children, even your own self, yeah. you can't come and follow me. Mm-hmm. He's talking I mean, about these are my mothers. These are my brothers. Yeah. Yeah. And let me let me bury my father. Well, let the dead bury the dead. But you yeah. can follow me like he he speaks so extremely about family because he knows that that is that that is the possessions that will mm-hmm. really be our God. And so he knows I like unless you love me more than any of these, then you really can't follow me because they're, they're being your God. You know, he knows that those are the most powerful motivators in our life. And he knows that they can't be though. He has to be that. He has to be King inwardly. Yeah. Kevin, can you think of anything that is hitting you? I mean, just the same thing you guys are talking about, about like, even like for me, I'm not necessarily like, I don't feel that things have a hold of my heart so much. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure they do to an extent. Yeah. Um, I just am ignorant to it. But the things that like I'm acutely aware of that like I possess in my heart is like yeah, what you're, exactly what you guys are saying. Like my family, my uh, my daughter, my wife. Yes. Um, and yeah. 
And one thing, though, that stood out to me was just how drastic Tozer talks about removing these things from your heart. Yeah. And that he says that the old miser won't go out. Where does he say it? The, um, the old miser won't lay down and die. Uh, but must be driven out with violence, <laughs> like Jesus drove out the money changers from the yeah, temple. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, it's just, he used some pretty powerful, strong language in yes. talking about how to deal with, how to deal with your own heart and how to deal with, like, um, that he recognizes that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be an easy thing, but yeah. it is a necessary thing. Yeah. Yeah. He calls it the tyranny of things mm-hmm. and like you know, as though like they and it is like it's like what sits on the throne of your heart and so whenever you talk about like this this old miser that sits on the throne that jesus really wants to sit on like that is things or that is your self-life like it makes sense that it has to be driven out violently because mm-hmm. typically regime changes don't happen Without yeah, peacefully. <laughs> without a little bit of war, especially yeah. for a tyrant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, and and it would be impossible to elect, like, with your heart to elect a. And I think he mentions that a little to to elect the, uh, to elect Jesus because to to like choose Jesus without like this like other like thing being torn out of you is like it's like it's choosing death that w- yeah it, like. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, you have to die to yourself is what Jesus would say. You have to take up your cross, die to yourself, and then you can follow me. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, yeah, there's one part I want to mention, and then we'll and then we'll take a break and get into the overview. And I will probably come back to this mm-hmm. after the break. No doubt. But he says... Uh, he says, uh, yeah, he's talking about um, not not making defense for himself. Uh, yeah, let the inquiring Christian trample underfoot every slippery trick of his deceitful heart and insist upon a frank and uh, upon frank and open relations with the Lord. Like, be totally honest with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Then he should remember that this is holy business. No careless or casual dealings will suffice. Let him come to God in full determination to be heard. Let him insist that God accept his all and uh, that he take things out of his heart uh, and himself uh, reign in power, like God himself reign in power. It may be he... Uh, it may be he will need to become specific to name things and people by their names uh, one by one, and that's what he mean, may, means by renounce. Yeah. It's like you're 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 naming them and then taking them out of that place. Like I'm gonna name one by one each one of these things. Yeah. Like and verbally say you are not king of my heart. And this is this is uh, the part that I wanted to really highlight. He says, if he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his toil mm-hmm. from years to minutes, and enter the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. Mm-hmm. That, that one gets me. Yeah. Because I see, I see this struggle within people uh, that I'm discipling a lot, where it's like, yeah. it's like if you would hurry up and die, mm-hmm. then you could be put in the grave, and then you would raise again in, in newness of yeah. life. If you would hurry up and die. Yeah. But you, you keep on holding on to your own feelings and you keep on holding on to your your own preferences and you, and you won't just let Jesus be king. And so that's making your cross a lot longer. Yeah. Will you hurry up and die? Does that make sense? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, they're, like whenever you, even what Tozer is saying about like you'll enter the, the he's talking in terms of like the promised land. You'll enter yes. the promise um, so much quicker if yes. you don't coddle your feelings but if you're coddling your feelings like you're withholding life from yourself yes exactly exactly yeah i think god may have wanted to let the israelites go into the promised land the first time they went there yeah no doubt. but but their hearts were far from god like they yep. they saw giants in the land instead of trusting in god like they they weren't looking at god they mm-hmm. were looking at at all the external things yeah, yeah. their fears and their... so he sent them back into the desert yeah until they learned how to do the right thing you know 
Yeah, thank you, Lord. Help us not to coddle our feelings. Help me not to, Lord, and help me to, uh, Lord, help me to just give it all to you and be drastic, as drastic as I need to in my surrender. Love you, Lord. Yeah, we'll, we'll be right back after a break. So here we are, we're, we're coming back in, and essentially we talked a little bit about this chapter, and to be honest, we just talked a lot about other things, uh, some things of God, some We talked not. about the state of the union, we talked about <laughs> historical mathematics and number systems. Yeah, but we're, uh, but we're going to come in and we're going to, we're going to, we're very well planned and we're going to, oh yeah, the plan is very clear, it's fly by the seat of our pants, so... <laughs> we talked about it a little bit. No, we don't even have to put any of this in there if we don't want to. But no, we want to. Yeah, but let's uh, let's get, dig into this <laughs> chapter. So we wanted to we wanted to make sure and highlight Abraham's story yes. uh, and talk through what that is. And so, um, when do you guys want to take that? Do you want me to take it or Kevin? I like Kevin. Well, me too. okay. So, real quick, uh, Abraham is in the book of Genesis. So if you're not familiar with it, uh, we obviously suggest to go read the book of Genesis. Um, but Abraham was uh, the first, like, so I guess God made a covenant with Noah, but God made a covenant with Abraham as well. And Abraham was going to be the father of a great nation. And he waited a long time, finally had Isaac, which was the son that God had given him. And he loved Isaac so much. Hmm. Uh, him and his wife couldn't have children for a long time because uh, of whatever reason. But God had promised that Abraham was going to be the father of a great nation, yes. which requires offspring. Yeah. And so he was like expecting a son, and he waited like, was it like 30 years or something? Yeah, like 25 years. 25 like years from the promise to the actual fulfillment the of Isaac. The says he was as good as dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's real old. Uh, he was practically in the grave when Isaac came. <laughs> One foot in the, the Bible grave. literally says, and he was as good as dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so he finally gets this son that God had promised him, and he was overjoyed and yeah. loved Isaac so much. But what uh, Tozer points out is Isaac began to compete with God for the throne of mm. Abraham's heart. Yes. And so God... Um, and obviously, go read this for yourself. God uh, commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Mm. And as the reader, you're like, what? Brutal. Human sacrifice? That's scary. You're like, Yahweh's never done that. Yeah. All the other gods do that. Yahweh. Yeah. And so then, yeah, all the other gods around would, would ask uh, their followers for human and baby sacrifice. And at this point, Isaac's like 12 or something. I don't even yes. know. And they go up the mountain and Abraham raises his knife to kill Isaac, but God sends an angel right before uh, the knife comes down and says, do not touch the boy. Mm. Um, and basically, like, uh, Isaac passed this, or Abraham passed the test. Yes. Um, that God was sort of seeing, will, is this man able to, like, establish my nation? Mm. And Abraham passed the test, flying colors, um, and God provides a sacrifice on top of the mountain in a ram caught in a thorn bush. Mm. And so uh, Abraham and his son sacrifice the ram, worship God on top of the mountain. Mm. Um, and that's really as far as the story that we need to talk about goes, I guess. Yes. This story is hard to swallow for yeah. a lot of people because it paints the, the God of Israel as, as being so brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's it was important that he that he tested Abraham's heart because he was he was uh, going to be the one through which the whole people of God comes from. Uh, yeah, so how does that parallel then uh, with why do, why does Tozer use Abraham so much as his example of possessing nothing? Uh, I think I think Tozer. Tozer uses him because it's a very tangible uh, and a very powerful example of like if there were any human emotion that's like strong, strong, 
it's the way that a father loves his son. Amen. And especially, or children in general. Um, yeah, children in general. But especially the story of Abraham, because Abraham had like prayed and yes. received. It wasn't just a son. It was an answer to a promise. Yes. So it's things that had happened in his life, in his past, that made Isaac very special to him. Yeah. But it was also the promise for what would happen in the future beyond beyond Abraham like his so now his past and his nostalgia and his family and his wife and his life is wrapped up in this boy but also the hope of a nation is wrapped up in this boy and not just the hope of a nation but the hope of God's people on earth yes so it was like his past present and future yes. is all wrapped up yes. in this boy and it's then, not just the son it's and, more than that yeah and 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 still it's like also just it's just it's also just a boy, just mm. a little boy. Yes. So there's also this just like raw human element to it. It's like that's a person. Yes. And you're asking me to go and kill him myself. Like that's it's a very like powerful, tangible tangible example of like what what do you hold on to and, and what do you call yours? What are you in control over? What are you yeah. in power over? Do you guys remember what was going through Abraham's head? Uh as he went up the mountain and why he, one of the reasons why he obeyed. He's like, perhaps the Lord will, perhaps the Lord will raise him from the dead after I kill him. Yeah. So the it, Bible says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Yeah. And so he knew God, he knew that God had promised to make a great lineage from this boy. Yeah. And so, and so he knew that somehow death won't be the end of him. Mm. And so it was all based in faith. He knew that God had come through on promise after yeah. promise after promise in his life, and he was old enough to have seen that happen over and over again in his life. And so it was based in faith. He knew, no, God's bringing promise through this boy, so somehow this can't be the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, what I do know is that obedience to God is what I have to do. It's the only way forward, right? And so even though it didn't make sense to him completely, and even he was reasoning on something that had never happened, yeah. Like someone being raised from the dead was something that had never happened. And he was saying, but God could do that. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? That's a great amount of faith. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why, why God said, Abraham, you're my guy. Yeah. Like you're very imperfect. If you read the Bible, you'll see Abraham definitely was not a, not, not a perfect man. By some measures, wouldn't even have been a good man in some people's eyes. But I think he, I think he was pretty good. Yeah, for sure. But, but what set him apart was his incredible faith to just say, God, I trust you. Somehow you'll work this out. Mm and making God the king of his heart. And so God noticed, like you said, that his heart had drifted uh, and that 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 the boy was starting to become that thing. And, and mm-hmm. so God corrected it and set it straight, and Abraham passed the test. It's incredible. It's an incredible moment in the Bible. I can't imagine the emotion. I can't imagine if the Lord asked me, uh, the Lord asked me to do that with my daughter. You cannot imagine. It also makes the cross that much more real. No doubt. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like to give your your only begotten son. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So another thing that he mentions in this chapter is he talks about repudiating and renouncing. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody have a good definition for repudiate? <laughs> I could Google it. I thought we were just going to talk about renouncing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google it. It'll be a good one. I think I have How an idea, you, but it would be a messy it? definition that I would get. While you yeah. do that, we talked about renouncing. <laughs> renouncing. <laughs> like, don't get off the script here. So we're renouncing. <laughs> we talked about renouncing, and it like really makes sense. Uh, when you break the word down, um, that you're like, re- dude, those are from... The other day, they're probably super stale. <laughs> they taste so good. Jeez. I'm currently eating. When some you talk about renouncing, you're peanut butter re- renouncing something uh-huh. and like uh-huh. a noun. Okay, well, <laughs> these people are so focused. When you renounce something, you're renaming something. You're redefining what something is. And whenever you're talking about it in this context, it's redefining what. Uh, kind of authority or what something is in your life. 
Um, it's not just like getting rid of something entirely forever, uh, but it would be like, I don't know if you're calling it the same thing. I don't know what it exactly looks like practically, but like when you break down the word, renouncing means like redefining what something is to you. Yes, and what it's come what it's come to mean is that you're like, yeah, read it, Kevin. You just pulled it up. Renounce is uh, to formally declare one's abandonment of, mm. uh, to reject and stop using or consuming, to refuse or resign, to refuse or resign a right or possession, especially one as an heir or trustee. Mm. Mm. That's good, Kevin. We appreciate you. Will you also tell us what repudiate means? Yes, repudiate. Now, I'm excited to say that I did spell it correctly. Mm. The Kevin, first time? You're a genius. Of course you did. I did. Um, you know how whenever you just type something into Google and you're like, it'll find it anyway? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, to repudiate. Refuse to accept or be associated with. To deny the truth or validity of. Mm. To refuse to fulfill or discharge. Um in agreement, obligation, or debt. So I guess repudiate is to is to deny. Uh, I really like to to den- to deny the truth or validity of. Yes. But to like to yeah. deny to disassociate yourself with it. Yes, and, and so, yeah, and so it seems like they're very similar words. Uh, but to repudiate is about denying the truth, and renouncing is about disassociating yourself with. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so how do they use these words throughout the chapter? Uh, yes, the way to deeper knowledge of God is through the lonely valleys of soul poverty and giving up of all things. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated every external thing and have rooted from their hearts, all sense of possessing. These are the poor in spirit. They have reached an inward state, paralleling the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets of Jerusalem. That inwardly, they're like that, a common beggar. That is what the word poor, as Christ used it, actually means. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broken the yoke of the oppressor. And this they have done by fighting, uh, by fighting, not by fighting, but by surrendering. Though free from all sense of possessing, they yet possess all things. Theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Woo! Your boy Tozer. Man. Your boy Tozer is a spiritual bulldozer. <laughs> You know, he says that uh, uh yeah. Okay, so Abraham Abraham possessed nothing is what he's saying, but we look at I'm very much paraphrasing. If you look at Abraham's life and at what he actually had, is he had a lot. He was a rich dude mm-hmm. but he possessed nothing. Uh and Tozer calls that um there is the spiritual secret now i'm not paraphrasing there is the sweet theology of the heart which can be learned only in the school of renunciation hmm. renunciation uh the books on systemic theology overlook this but the wise will understand like basically saying uh like you can only and he says this more later like that you can only really understand this by actually experiencing it by actually doing it like we can talk about it a lot Yes. We, we literally sitting here can talk about it a lot, but the only way we can really understand this or that anyone listening could probably really understand like why or, or like what this will do in you is by doing it, it is by actually doing it. And so just to say it, that's exactly what we're doing here is we want, we like, we implore you listener, whoever you are to, to process this stuff and not just listen to three talking voices but actually, as we, I guess we're probably going to go through, uh, we talked about renunciation, renaming, and actually going through and like maybe listing awesome things that we might actually, or that people do commonly deal with. 
Um, so we just implore you as we go forward to like, hopefully you're already doing this, but actually think about this stuff and actually try to experience this. Tozer says that you can take the struggle with this, the duration of the struggle of this from, from years and years down to minutes. If you'll just trust the spirit and he'll make this so much quicker and you'll end up in the promised land so much quicker than if you draw it out and like struggle um, but you got to be drastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to be you got to be drastic. Yeah, and you've got to be like you've got to be like with the same violence that Jesus drove uh, drove the money changers out of the temple. You've got to you've got to go in with that same violence to your inward self yes. and say, "I will hold nothing above God." Yes, mm-hmm. I will hold nothing above God. I will possess nothing. Nothing belongs to me. Yeah. My time, my money, my own family, my reputation. Oh, excuse me, my comfort. Mm. Are you but, here? Are dude, you guys hearing? But these? what about my fam- my family? Like pays for me to go to school, so like I really need to focus on my work. Like, yeah, nothing, nothing. It doesn't matter. Any in everything in my life is given over to God. It's it's not mine. This isn't my future that I'm dealing with here. This is God's future, mm. and so whatever He tells me to do, it's His future anyway. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I really need to focus on my schoolwork. I don't know about going on this retreat. I feel like the Lord might be asking me to go, but like I just got a lot of work piling up, and I don't know. Well, if you would hurry up and die, <laughs> if you would hurry up and die, you wouldn't even have to question what you're doing. But you hear the you yeah, hear no, the hear you. you hear, hear you. the like it's I, your, I've said this. Stuff. No, no, it's your yeah, time. Yeah, sure. It's your time. It's your studies. It's your comfort. It's your sleep that you might lose because you have to study. You have to stay up a little bit later to study. Yeah. It's it's your uh, comfort level with how much you know, uh, and how how like confident you are going into a test. It's like it's all yours. Yeah. When you're thinking that way. Yeah. yeah. But it's not supposed to be in. None of it's That's supposed right. to be yours. It's all God. That's right. God, what would you have me to do? This is this is my this is this is your day that I'm living today. Yeah. Because every single day for the rest of my life is yours. I've died. And in that well, that's where the juice is, bro. That's where mm-hmm. like uh yeah. That's where the good life is. Yeah, and I think Surrender. like even like <laughs> just the way I think. Um would you rather flip hamburgers at McDonald's and have God for all of eternity? Or would you have whether rather like have a degree? Like, yes. I would rather have God for all of eternity. Yes. Um, so really, like, and I think even whenever you, like, Tozer doesn't talk about this too much, but I think whenever you look at the true value of things, it gets a little bit, like, you understand why you would do these things. Yes. Like, why would you, yeah. why, why should I deal so harshly with my heart? Yes. And so harshly with the things that I like? Yeah. Well, it's because there's something so much greater than the things that you like. Yes. There's something, like, there's an eternal love. Yeah. Yes. And, um... And it reminds me of the parable of the guy, he wanders across a treasure in a field, and like in his joy, he goes and sells everything Let's he go. owns. Like he does it with joy. He gives up everything. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> just literally because possessed nothing. Because he's seen nothing. something more valuable than yes. everything he owns. Yes. He literally possessed nothing. Yes. Because he saw something greater. But but he ended up possessing everything. He ended, yeah, he ended up with everything. Yeah, it's good, bro. But something so much greater, something so much yeah. more valuable, and yeah, and a value statement like that is like I don't, I don't go and sell everything I own for like a trash can. Yeah, I go and sell everything I own for like something that's worth more than everything. Yeah, I own. sure. Yeah. And it's like, well, we know something that's worth more than everything you own. Yes. So yeah, that's so good, Kev. Yeah, and we're talking in extremities here. Like we obviously we want people to get degrees. Yes. But yes. not just because you think it's a good idea. Yes. We want you to get a degree because you have surrendered your life to Jesus and he's led you that way. Yeah. And we don't want you to get a degree at the cost of your yes. following Jesus and making disciples. Yes. Like yeah. at the end of the day, like this stuff, the, the stuff of God is the stuff that really matters. So lay everything else down. Yeah. Like, I, like that's how I processed it when I was young. It's mm-hmm. like, God, I could, if, if following you meant that I was a janitor for somewhere for the rest of my life, just mopping floors, you know, uh, which I'm sure there's janitors out there that are like, hey, man, I like my job, you know, like, right, man. and it's honest work, yeah, but, for sure. but it's not like a, a like a praised, a highly praised yeah. work or something yeah. like that, you know, and it also, it doesn't fit my personality. Like I would want to be around people. I'd be like talking to the mop by the end of it, you know, <laughs> uh, 
But I told God, like, if that's what it means to follow you, I would do it, any of it. My future is not my future anymore. Uh, my yeah. life is your life. Yeah. Yeah. My future is really your future, God. Yeah. I die right here today. I, Pierce Williams is dead right here today. Yeah. And then from then on, I, I've been trying to live my life for him. Now, I've also been working out my salvation with fear and trembling where I'm like, yes. I'm like realizing, oh, no, like, God, I've put my comfort above you. Let's yeah. go up mm-hmm. the mountain again. Yeah. Let me let me let me sacrifice this thing to you, God. Mm-hmm. What does that interface look like with sacrificing your comfort? I feel like if if Tozer says this and we agree with this, that it's like important for experiences for us to actually experience this stuff rather than just talk about the theology of it. Like, what's an example of a way that you've had to sacrifice your comfort and you found yourself with your comfort on the altar with the knife up in the air? Um, I think like the the big stuff would be my whole future. So like, uh, essentially, when I when, okay, so let me just say when I graduated high school, yep. uh, I had scholarships to places where I could go to school for free, yep. uh, and get paid a little bit, you know. And so it made sense for me to go. But even then, I said, I'll, God, I'll go straight to the mission field right now, you know, because I felt like I felt you know like I was calling me to be a missionary. Yeah. Uh, but then in prayer, I felt like God told me to go to UCA in prayer and fasting. Uh, and so that's where I ended up going, you know. Yeah. And uh, even while I was there, um, the whole time, like I declared a major as biology. But the whole time, I like, and just in my heart, I felt like, no, I'm here for you, Jesus. Right. So whatever you say to do, I'll do, you right. know. And uh, like long story short, I end up laying all that stuff down. And it's stuff that I have thought about at times. Like uh, whenever, like there have been times where people will question, like I just, I knew that like what, what a degree gets you is it tells people that you're smart enough uh, and or hardworking enough right. to get this piece of paper. Right. And so then I'm like, I'm like, I'm not smart enough or hardworking. <laughs> well, then, I, well, then I'm just thinking like, you know, I know moving forward from here that people may question because I don't have this piece of paper. Yeah, like, yeah, were you yeah. not smart enough? Were you not hardworking enough? Right. Yada yada yada. But it was like I don't care about any of that. I don't mm-hmm. care if somebody sees me as smart. I don't care if somebody sees me as hardworking as long as I know that before you, I'm working hard, Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long yeah. as I know that yeah, um, I don't care if somebody sees the the choices that I've made for like the path of my life as as a, as a well uh, trod out path yes. uh, or sees me as wasted potential. I don't care about any of that. People don't know what I was made for. You yes. know what I was made yes. for, God. So I will be obedient to your will and wherever you put me, that's, that's good with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, honestly, y'all, that's the place of most peace. So I dropped out of college. I'm not at all uh, can like drop out. I'm not like I'm not telling you guys to do any of that. But for me, I felt like God was telling me to. So I dropped out of college, and uh, so that I could go to Zambia for five months and uh, and kind of dip my feet into some mission stuff there. And dropped out of college, and my girlfriend broke up with me, but she's my wife now, so it all worked out. And I ended up getting kicked out of on-campus housing because now I'm not a student anymore. Perhaps the Lord will raise her from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I end up living in a friend's attic, uh, and I got bed bugs. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, you know, I was working at a local restaurant, a local Chinese restaurant, you know, and like uh, I go from like, you know, like what the world like. What, on paper looks good like oh you know i have a you know full paid scholarship and i'm studying biology ha <laughs> you know like uh to yeah bro i live in my buddy's attic and my girlfriend broke up with me and uh and uh <laughs> i work at a chinese restaurant you know like yeah. <laughs> uh but honestly y'all i say this all the time but i was so at peace yeah mm-hmm. and my heart and my soul was at rest and really comforted even though my whole life felt like it, like by outside standards, it looks like it should have been falling apart. Yeah. But it wasn't. Even it your, was. Even your boss. It was falling into place. Yeah, my boss would say, "You, you need love to go your back God to, too much." He'd say, "He'd say you need to go back to school." He'd say, "You love your God too much." You know, like <laughs> he's like he's like go to school. You know, like he's like not playing with me about this God stuff. He's like, bro, go to school. You know, uh, and so, but yeah, but I but inwardly. 
like I had found a place of deep peace and rest in the Lord and a place of comfort because I wasn't making these decisions because I thought they were the best thing to do. I was making these decisions because I prayed and prayed and prayed and believed that this yeah. is what the voice of the Lord was telling me to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wish I could tell you guys all the details, but we don't have time, of how God has taken such good no care doubt. of me. No doubt. Mm. And had I not moved when he said move, I wouldn't be where I am now, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't based on, I gave my future to, to Jesus. I gave all these things that people, that people around me were telling me, this is your potential, you know? And like, uh, I gave it all to Jesus and was like, you know my potential. Yeah. And I'm not trying to live up to any earthly standard. And it was hard. It was like, even this, even my own standards, the standards of my own parents, the standards of my hometown, when you're from a small town, like everybody has expectations on you, you know, like all this different stuff. And I was like, none of that matters it's all garbage yeah i don't care about my reputation or any of that my future is yours so that's that's one point where surrender to god led to real freedom yeah so you started out saying we you said i had to sacrifice my comfort but it turned into way more than just like it turns into way more than just comfort like the lord so tozer tozer says that that with abraham and like do, trying to take care with God trying to take care of this quickly that he was practicing a, an economy of means and something else means basically time. means and time that's it that t- or that God was practicing an economy of means and time and dealing with with Abraham quickly and asking him to sacrifice Isaac in the same way that the Lord was leading you to like do missions or to just be obedient to well i'm going to do what you have in front of me yeah what's next he was accomplishing a uh a surrender or really a, a renunciation within you but for your comfort your future uh the way your family saw you yes. the way future missionary leaders or like people that would have authority over you would see you yes. not having a degree the way society would see you as what do you mean you're you dropped out of college whenever you had a scholarship or whatever like mm-hmm. like what do you mean and so like there was all these things that that well maybe if you're listening like think of the ways i can think of the ways that that in my life i was faced with like pressures from around me or within me or because of the way that i was raised that seemed to conflict with the way that well, man, maybe God is leading me in a different direction. Specifically for me, it would be going on project my, yes. my freshman year. And I was re- I had to renounce my girlfriend and the relationship I had with my girlfriend to go on project because she didn't want me to go at all. Yeah. She's not my wife in, now. Like, like, and, and thank you, Lord, God had a better plan for my, for my life. And, but I'm saying that like no slight against her. What I'm saying is like God had a plan for me and I'm getting to do ministry with my wife now. Yes. Uh, and, and what I wanted to say that for is because Abraham, God richly blessed Abraham. Yeah, dude. And this starts to sound like prosperity gospel if you get it twisted. Yeah. Because I sacrificed a lot. Abraham sacrificed a lot, a lot, a lot to get to, to for God to bless him so richly with like a family that and a lineage that is now outnumbering the stars yeah, it and is. stuff. So yeah, that's good. I hope that, I hope that like listeners are, yeah, that anybody like listening to this in the future is encouraged and yeah. is like challenged to like, to actually Surrender. to deal with these things quickly and yeah. not just try to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, bro. Do you know where I lived immediately after the attic with bed bugs? I lived in a uh, multi, multi million dollar mansion what? with marble floors and giant columns. And and I'm dead grand, serious. A grand Where? piano? Uh, in, in North Little Rock. I took a job at a church in North Little Rock. Oh and it was like when I was raising support. And this is crazy. Like, I didn't, wasn't really like that messed up about it at the time because I had. I had surrendered in my heart. I didn't care about any possessions. I was like, okay, I'll live in your mansion. But like, my mom was like, uh, she's like, just make sure you clean up after yourself. You know, oh and I'm like, gosh. get in their way. And I was like, uh, I'll clean up, but I'm not in their way. Like, I have like a whole wing of the house to myself. And oh she's like, my. okay. And then she came to visit and she was like, you literally have a whole wing to yourself. Because <laughs> I had like, on my wing of the house, there was a movie theater and there were these statues yeah. and like, I had my own living room. And like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, it was crazy. 
And like, and like, I literally went from living in an attic to living in a literal mansion. It looked was like a castle, you know. It had like fountains out in the front yard. It had like, it was it was crazy, you know. Uh, I felt like the fresh, fresh I I was the fresh prince, bro. And like. Uh, and there's this super awesome and generous family that what like there was a, members of the church that I worked at that I uh, that they were like yeah he can come live with us and then you know yeah. I go from an attic to a mansion to a tent in Africa I was living in with Zach Bowling yeah. and all of it I felt the same because my because yeah. I didn't possess any of it yeah. God was just providing for me and whenever it was a mansion I was like thanks Lord yeah. whenever it was a tent I was like thanks Lord I was grateful for all of it it was a tent during the rainy season and there would be like lightning and thunder all around and and the rains were so heavy they were collapsing our tent in on top of us and I kid you not I was literally sleeping like a baby through all of it because even when it was happening my, my buddy Zach he's the Kaiapha director at Kansas uh, I won't tell you the words that he was saying when lightning was striking and it felt like it was literally 20 feet from our tent it probably wasn't but it felt that way because it was like the lightning and then the thunder like was sounded like somebody shot a gun in our ears you know yeah uh, but like but when that's happening, he's like freaking out. And I was literally, I was laying there and like there was water underneath me because like water's pouring into our tent. And I know this sounds dramatic and probably unrealistic, but I'm not kidding you. I was literally saying, laying there saying, God, I could, my life's yours. If you're going to take me tonight, that's okay. And I just went back to sleep. <laughs> and Zach's like, what the heck? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Because I was like, you know, this guy, you know, like, yeah. and like, God, you control these trees that are above my head that could crash down on me. You control the lightning that could hit me. You control the water and like, we'll be okay. You know? And like, I don't know, dude. It's like, it's like in that surrender, that's where the real juice is. That's where real life is. Yes. That's where real rest and peace and comfort is. And that's where God takes care of you like a king, like, uh, internally, like it, it can, it can be external. Sometimes there can be a mansion sometimes, but, but I didn't care about any of that because internally, like I knew that like uh blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right yes. uh and so in my heart I was like I don't own anything you know I'm a freaking dropout and whatever like if that's what the lord wants you know yeah uh but 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 what what that did is it gave me inwardly a possession of the kingdom of heaven yes. to where like Anything I needed, God was always providing, yes. and He's provided over, over, and above ever since then. I wish I could tell you guys all the stories. Yeah, me too. Like a tree planted by a stream. So that's that's kind of the that's where a lot of our listeners will be. Uh, being college students, you don't have children, but I'll tell you that like His analogy here is a is a very deep one when you think about because like it's so hard not to want to possess roads. My daughter and Kevin, I'm sure mm-hmm. with Olivia, like to think about sacrificing them to the Lord. But in my heart, I definitely resonate with this because I've never been as tempted to try and possess something as my child and try to protect and try to control and try to make sure this, this, and this. But I have to surrender roads over to the Lord or she will end up controlling me Mm -hmm. or the fear of what could happen will end up controlling me. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, And so I think that this, this word about children certainly resonates with me. But it's got to be in every facet of our lives. Just asking the listener, reflect on yourself, reflect on uh, what is it in your heart and what is it that, that you need to, to renounce, whether it be physical things, relationships, yes. yeah. ab- more abstract things, more identi- more of identity things. And, yes. Um, and the laying down has to be real. It can't be a... Um, yes, I lay it down with my hand still on it, ready to pick yeah. it back up. Yeah, I can't be like, um, "Okay, God, I'm gonna kill him." Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like you, you can't. You, you, that's a, like that's yeah. such a good point. That can't be the game you're gonna. Play. You can't go into it expecting God to say, "Yeah, well, I'll lay it down," but I'm, I know I'll get it back. So. Yeah, you can't say it. Go into it expecting God to say, "Don't harm the boy." Mm-hmm. You know, like he may say that, but you have to say, you have to go in meaning. No, business. I trust God that somehow you're going to work this out, but I'm going to lay everything down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the sacrifice has to be real and you have to um, be willing to truly let go of everything, but, but him. Yeah. Which is a heavy statement to say. Yeah. Yes. But so worth it. So valuable. Yes. And it includes everything. It's everything in our lives that mm-hmm. we lay down. We renounce it all. It's all, it's all for nothing, uh, other than Christ. So, yeah. 
Kevin, you want to pray for us, bro? Yes. Jesus, I just pray that you would you would guide us um, in our dealings with ourselves, in our dealings with our hearts. I pray that you would like lay us bare. Um, I pray that like while this will be painful as we as we uproot and pull things out, that it would be quick. Um, that we would we would not like belabor uh, the issue, and we wouldn't reluctantly uh, hold things back. Uh, that would only extend and uh, extend the process. But I just pray that, like, as we as we uh, examine ourselves and as we lay things down at your feet, um, I pray that you would take away the things that are not of you, and I yes, pray God. that you would never give them back. Yes, God. And if the things that are of you, Lord, and the things that um, that will uh, that you mean for us mean for us to have I pray that you would give it back to us but that it wouldn't be um, that we would never own them again that they would truly be yours thank you so much for uh, for today thank you for the sunshine I just pray that you would help us have gratitude for the things uh, around us yes God and not entitlement yes God we love you Lord amen amen amen